You're listening to the Ministry Grow Show, brought to you by Reliant Creative, the creative agency for gospel-centered ministries. Find out more at ReliantCreative.org. Welcome to the Ministry Grow Show, a podcast dedicated to helping churches and ministries grow and make more effective impacts for the kingdom of God in an ever-changing digital world. Whether you're building and growing a gospel-centered ministry or leading a church, if you want insight into the strategies, struggles, challenges, and successes of other ministry leaders, you've come to the right place. Welcome back to the Ministry Grow Show. Today on the show, I'm going to be talking with Emily Fitzpatrick. She's the founder of Flagship Equip. Emily, thanks for being on the show. Hey, Zach. I'm super excited to be with you. Thanks for having me. Yeah, absolutely. We're excited to have you on. Um, to get started, why don't you give our listeners a little uh, backstory about your experience in the ministry space, uh, maybe w- share where you got started, some of the history behind that, and then um, maybe some of the organizations you've served along the way, and a little bit about what you're spending your time doing now uh, with Flagship Equip. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I'll tell you, I've been in ministry about 15 years, and my very first ministry job was with Billy Graham at the training center at the Cove, and it's a retreat center in Asheville, North Carolina. It's beautiful, but I was kind of a a newer Christian. I've never, I had never worked in like the (laughs) Christian environment as my first ministry job. I came out of a corporate world where I spent six years in event planning and hotel management, my degrees in hospitality. Oh, wow. And my very first week... Yep. So my very first ministry job, I was so excited. I was going to get to work for Jesus, you know, and they were like, you got to come early because we have devotions at 830. I'm like, what's devotions? Like, I didn't even know. I'm like, what are we doing? <laughs> They're like, oh, we share the Bible. I'm like, oh, okay, Bible study kind of thing. And But it was just so amazing. The people at the Cove were just like, it was a breath of fresh air for me to just get in that environment. I met some incredible just mentors and role models. Um, I was actually one of the younger people that worked there. Then I, I think I was 24, 25, somewhere around there. Oh, wow. And um, yeah, I was a new mom, had uh, two little babies. And it was just a, just a really sweet time with the Lord and just pulling onto that property every day. And I did event management for them. And so that was why I was hired because of my background. And, you know, I was there, I guess about a year. And um, the Lord had always given me this name on Eagles Wings Ministries, like since I first like came to know Christ around age 21. And I had just kind of like, it had been stirring in my heart and I wasn't real sure kind of what to do with it. I felt like it was some sort of a women's ministry. And so I think what happened, Zach, when I went to the Cove and I just got out of that corporate kind of environment um, and just got into a place of prayer and worship every day and just a Christ-centered, mm-hmm. you know, uh, workplace, my my walk just even grew deeper, and I began to just pursue Christ in just a greater way even, and um, I started seeking Him around on Eagle's Wings, because I just like, Lord, you spoke that to me several years ago, like, what is it? And I'll never forget, like, one morning in my prayer time, um, I was just like, you know, is this really a thing? Like, it, or is this just something that I thought I heard, you know, and journaled about one day? Right. And uh, He just said, like, I just felt the Holy Spirit say strippers. I mean, it was the craziest thing. <laughs> and so, like, it was so bizarre. So I jumped up and I like oh, went to my husband. I was like, oh, my gosh, I know what on Eagle's Wings is. I'm super excited. I have a ministry to strippers. And my husband's like, okay, you know, like, what? what are you going to do? <laughs> and, uh, yeah, he was kind of like, all right, well, go for it, girl, you know. And so I went to work, and um, one of my good friends at the Cove, I ran to her little cubicle that morning, and I said, 
um, hey, Kim, I was like, remember that ministry I thought I had, like this women's thing I've been telling you about, but I didn't know what it was. <laughs> she said, yeah. And I said, it's a ministry of strippers. And she was like, oh my God, that's so cool. You know, she's like, what are you going to do? I'm like, I have no clue. <laughs> so like, let me think about it. Well, I looked up, there was one strip club in Asheville, North Carolina, just one. And it was called the Treasure Club. And I was like, I'm going to go to the Treasure Club. I'm going to take some gift bags and I'm going to fill it with like bath and body products and, you know, just like makeup, nail polish, a bunch of cute girly stuff, a little Bible journal. Uh-huh. And I'm just going to take gift bags into the dancers and put a little business card on there with my cell phone that says on Eagles Wings Ministries. I wasn't even like a real nonprofit. It was just like a dream, you know? Right. <laughs> so. So I did it. I went and she went with me and it was so much fun. And the bouncers were just like super friendly. We didn't go backstage or anything. We just kind of dropped everything off. And it was this big adrenaline rush. And we were like, yes, we did it. And they were like, okay, what now? And so we were like, is is anyone going to call? Like what's going to happen? And it literally, Zach took two weeks and um, my phone rang one day and I was in my cubicle at the Cove and I picked it up and I heard this little voice on the other end and she said, is this Emily Fitzpatrick with One Eagle's Wings Ministries? And I was like, yeah, because I, like, I was kind of taken back. I didn't expect it. And she was like, you know, this is so-and-so. Give me your name. She said, with the Treasure Club. I was like, oh, my gosh. And she said, I just wanted to call you and tell you, like, how awesome it was that you guys came and did that. Like, I'm just kind of shocked. And she said, all the girls got bags. It was so lovely. and It was just, like, made our night. And she's like, why would you do that? She said, don't you think I'm dirty? And I was like, oh, man. I was like, do you like Mexican food? And she said, yes. And I said, can I take you to dinner? And so that was the start of an organization that I founded in 2007. And it was to women in the sex industry. And it started with a simple gift bag, you know, um, taking into a strip club and meeting one girl, which evolved into the nation's first home for sex trafficked teenage girls. And that opened in 2009, and I did that for about nine years before going into kind of coaching and consulting. So um, it's been a crazy, wild ride these 15 years of ministry, to say the least. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Yeah. That's incredible. I mean, you must have been over the moon when you f- got that first call and and had that first meeting. Like, ah, this this could be a thing. This is, this is actually working. I know. I became like the strip club hopper. I went all over the place, like Charlotte <laughs> and Greensboro and... We started going backstage and really what happened is we met girls that had pimps and we were meeting young girls that were being exploited and some had fake IDs and uh, mm. just through a series of events and meetings and um, we're working with DSS and the FBI, God just opened some crazy doors for me. It was, it's such a long story, too much for today. But um, in 2009, we accepted our first teenage girl that had been trafficked in the United States in a beautiful home um, that was on uh, six acres and we cared for her. And let me tell you today, she just graduated from an Ivy league school. And like, it has just been so cool, Zach, to just be part of God's story. And, um, I did that, like I said, for nine years, I worked with, uh, sex traffic victims and mostly teenage girls and young women and girls that, um, not even necessarily had a pimp, just some that felt like they didn't have options even, and just didn't believe in themselves and, um, just tried to help them, you know, come out and feel empowered and like get access to resources and therapy and mentors and coaching. And, um, it was just so, uh, awesome. And that ministry grew from like a grassroots kind of startup with just, you know, me and the girl from the Cove to 14 women on staff, a million and a half dollar budget. 
And um, then mama got tired. <laughs> I said, I told my husband the last couple of years I was there, I was really feeling fatigued and, and burnt out. And just like God wanted me to have a season of rest and uh-huh. uh, that opened up the door for me to kind of take a break and go into some more coaching and consulting with other ministry leaders, which is what I do now. And I've done the past few years. So that's awesome. Well, that last, that last piece about, your burnout. I'm sure you have all kinds of amazing stories of the the great work that God did through you and your organization. But um, on the flip side of that, as we know, min- running ministry can have a lot of difficulties. And I think that's a good segue for that. My next question: what um, what have what have been some of the hardest lessons you've learned working within the ministry space, both with On Eagle's Wings and what you're doing now, and and in consulting with and working with other organizations. Yeah. Well, I mean, I I explain ministry work is like being on the mountain and being in the valley all at the same time, because it's like you're on these extreme highs, like because you see God at work all the time. Right. You're seeing lives being transformed. You're seeing like these gifts come in that you were praying in, like you weren't expecting. And you're just seeing all these miracles. And it's so fun. But at the same time, like you're just in the middle of like the hardest stories ever. Like, and people are just going through this trauma and these things that you are around every single day. And so it is just a fun, I guess, just this balance, you know, I think if I could look back and just like tell my younger self, you know, when I was 22, 23, 24, kind of going into ministry, you know, now I'll be 42 in June. But if I could look back and speak to that girl, um, I would probably say, like, you took yourself too seriously. Mm. And I think what I mean by that is, like, I just really forgot how to play. Like, I forgot how to enjoy God. I forgot to um, just be with Jesus. Like, you know, I forgot to... Um, just let him love me. Everything was do, 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 go, go, go. And I was just on this hamster wheel of growing an organization and, um, you know, marking things off my list, setting these big goals and just charging ahead. Right. And, uh, I think, you know, now that I've been out of that kind of executive director role for about three and a half years now, you know, coaching other executive directors, I realized one thing and that's that I'm, I was not alone in that because um, just in the past several years, I've literally worked with hundreds of nonprofit leaders through, you know, virtual kind of coaching groups. And I feel like probably 90% of them would be saying the same thing, like this whole striving and not abiding, like it's this temptation all the time Mm. because, you know, as ministry leaders, we're often very like entrepreneurial. We, we're visionaries, you know, a lot of, especially founders are just these big visionaries and it's like, we want to get it all done now. <laughs> right. Right. And so, um, I think there's that temptation to just get on that hamster wheel. And so as I have stepped back, you know, and even running my own business now, which is a for-profit, there's still that temptation, Zach, because it's like, you want to get back and you say, okay, now I'm going to grow this company. And but yeah. I'm like, no, God delivered me from that. And it's this constant check. Like when I feel myself getting anxious or I'm working too, too long of hours or I just like, okay, God, you know, pull me out, show me, you know, get me back, <laughs> get me back where I can sit at your feet. Like I need balance. Uh-huh. So, yeah. So that's really what I would say is like, don't forget to play. Don't forget to like 
be like a child. Like, don't take yourself too seriously. You know, does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. I, I, like God has invited us into this story of redemption of humanity, right? And he's, mm-hmm. he's asked us to be a part of that with him. And it's not, not this thing that he just wants our begrudging submission and, and wants to have like that, like overpowering rule over us. He wants to invite us into something exciting. And when we do that, when we step into that, it's easy to make that thing ultimate, whatever he's called mm-hmm. us to. It's e- easy to yes. say, yes, Lord, I'm going to say yes to this and then make that thing ultimate rather than making Je- Jesus ultimate. And um, yes. like mm-hmm. he's not inviting us into like slavery to something new and slavery to <laughs> to ministry. He's inviting us into that that redemption story. And, and it, like, if we can, if we can pursue him and have him be our focus, it can, like, we can have both and, right? We can, um, you could be successful in the ministry space, but also have balance in our lives. We don't have to pursue ministry to the point that it kills us or our relationships or, or, you know, what name the thing. Um, as long as we're not making ministry that ultimate thing above him. Exactly. And get your accountability partner to hold you accountable to that. Cause like, mm. it's really hard when you're answering to a board and you, you know, cause they want you to succeed and be able to lead and you just can't be really vulnerable with them. Cause you're thinking, are they going to think I can't do my job? Yeah. So like someone outside of the organization who can just really help you, like hold you accountable to that healthy rhythm. Right. So I think that whole topic of of burnout and and what we've discussed in the last couple of minutes, I think, is a, a completely separate topic, and I think we could spend a whole podcast episode talking about that. But I want to center yes. the conversation today on um, specifically your experience in fundraising. Since I've known you and worked with you and and seen your expertise, I think one of the things that you're incredibly gifted at is both with the organizations you've led and the organizations you've partnered with, um, you have a crazy awesome experience and expertise in fundraising. So let's, I want to focus mm-hmm. the conversation around that because I think a lot of the organizations um, that are listening to this would get a lot of value of hearing your mindset around fundraising. So what tips do you have around donor care for organizations maybe specifically as they grow beyond a small intimate community into large communities of, of larger donor bases. Yeah. Well, you know, first I just like you met, you kind of hit the nail on the head when you said mindset, because the fundraising you're talking about, like how do I view fundraising? I think you and I've talked about this some in the past and, but my approach really is like very biblical based fundraising. What do I mean by that? So like when you're in ministry, um, I find that a lot of ministry leaders think, okay, fundraising is this, you know, necessary evil or this like yucky thing (laughs) that I have to do in order to make the real ministry happen. Right. Right. And so like nobody, like (laughs) very few people get super jazzed about fundraising unless they've (laughs) had some really good coaching, you know, but, um, it really is very, um, like, I feel like God is in it when you view it as a ministry, like he, like he is giving us an invitation because like as we are going out and sharing the message of what we do with people, like we're expanding the kingdom and we're inviting people to be part of that. Right. And it's generosity that, you know, is going to build the kingdom. And so we bring this message and this invitation. And so I think sometimes we as ministry leaders feel like we come as a beggar, right? Like this, Oh, help me. Like, you know, I have to 
sometimes pride gets in the way and all this, like I have to go ask for money, but no, like we should be excited because we have this special calling, this mandate, and we're coming with an invitation to invite them into something that is kingdom, you know, building the kingdom. And it's super exciting. And, uh, there was a, I was reading, um, this afternoon, I wrote a blog about this. And I just kind of, before our call today, got back into this scripture because I think it's super encouraging. It's in Exodus 25 and God was telling Moses, he said, raise a contribution for the tabernacle. And so what he was saying is, you know, he was very specific to Moses about how to go out and fundraise. And he said, people's hearts will be moved and they will give. And he said, the ones that he actually said, the ones that heart, the ones that their heart will be moved, they will give. So it wasn't like the Lord was saying everybody would give. He was saying there'll be people who will give their Mm -hmm. heart will be moved. And basically what the Lord was saying was telling Moses, like tell and ask, like, Go tell them the need and ask. And so I, I hear from ministry leaders a lot, like, like, oh, well, what about George Mueller? Like, he raised all this money in the 1800s for this orphanage, and all he did was pray. I'm like, that's great. God called Mueller for that very specific reason. It was like a, a distinct calling that Mueller had in his life to do that. But I think, really, um, not that, not to say that that should you shouldn't pray. Like, prayer should be. The number one thing that we do before we approach any supporters or fundraising. Mm-hmm. But I really big into telling and asking because even in that example, you know, as Moses went and told the people, like their hearts were moved and they brought their best gifts. And it says um, in verse 35, it says the project was complete. And so the Lord ordered Moses, you know, gave him instructions. Moses obeyed. He went and told. He asked the people. They brought the gifts, the ones that their hearts were moved, and they brought really awesome gifts. <laughs> the whole, the whole tra- it's all about these gifts they brought. It's amazing. And the project was complete. And so I'm like, Lord, you know, if you if you don't want us as ministry leaders to go out and tell people, like, it, how awesome would it be to just pray, right, and just set back in our nice offices and just pray and let God drop million-dollar gifts just from the sky? Like, that would be incredible. But here's what we would miss out on. Like, we would miss out on the beauty of the relationship. And that, to me, is what fundraising is all about. It's about relationships with your supporters. And it's about people to people, you know, loving on each other, being in community together, right? Because your ministry is a community and you're inviting people in to be part of that community. And so it's about relationships. And if you're not out sharing about your cause and you're not asking, like, Oh my gosh, like God is going to miss out on so many opportunities to like show his glory because like it's through those stories that you're telling that people are going to be so blessed and so inspired. So anyways, I don't want to get off on a soapbox here, but I just kind of wanted to start with that. Yeah. Yeah. And so. Yeah. And and, I mean, for us as a 501c3, that, that is one of the things that's always that mindset for me as a leader of this organization is always been something that I struggle with. So that's so good to hear that, that mindset shift. You know, there's, I've read a couple of books that have helped with that mindset shift. And I think it's going to always be for me, um, you know, going into full, full-time ministry, I put that off. I put full-time with this thing off for years because I just didn't want to be a fundraiser. Like I, I just refused <laughs> to be a fundraiser. I didn't want that to be a part of my job title. And as, as an executive director, that kind of is a large part yeah. or if not most of what you spend your time doing. And I just did not want to have that be the case. Um, but as I've, I've read books like, um, 
the giver and the gift, and mm-hmm. you've referred me to the God ask. Um, yes, the, the, so those ideas and some articles that you've shared have, have changed my mindset, and, and it's still going to be something that I have to wrestle with and pray over and, and work through just in my own relationship with the Lord. Um, but it, it's been a huge shift just over the last couple months in, in this new way of thinking about what friend, fundraising could be and, and, and have it not be this thing that I have to fear. It, it, it can be yes. a, a part of the ministry that's just as um, uplifting and just as joy-filled and just as, um, yeah, just as uplifting as everything else that we do within our ministry. Right, right. I mean, it's a ministry within itself, fundraising is. Like, mm-hmm. it's just totally a ministry within itself, so. That's good. So as you as you grow or as you've grown your past organizations you worked with or the organizations you're working with now, as you as those organizations grow a donor base into a community too large um, to know everybody, like your, the donor yes. base grows beyond my own personal network to people that I'm now meeting for the first time. How do you keep or how do you encourage organizations that you serve um, with flagship? How do you, how do you keep that community element strong? Um, yeah, great question. I went through that myself. You know, when we first started, we had you know, 50, 75, hundred donors and you can kind of keep up with that. But as you grow to several thousand, it's like, you don't even know where to begin some days. And so I had to maneuver through that. And really, honestly, the reason that I feel this way about fundraising now is I just had a really good coach. I got some good coaching and I had accountability and I had great teachers. And so I was like you, Zach, when I first started. And so I've just totally shifted my mindset. But first of all, like you cannot function as a pro- like do proper donor care and development without a good database like you know some kind of a software where you can keep keep notes on your supporters you can make yourself task when i help an organization with fundraising you know there's no way that i could keep up with everything without some sort of a donor platform like kindful or mm-hmm. little green light or you know whatever it is salesforce so that's like you know really the first start the second thing is um really mapping out like a good funding plan. And so like what I like to do around the fall is set out, you know, kind of map out my year. So break apart, like what types of gifts do I want to go after, whether that's corporate, you know, individuals, major gifts, you know, partnerships, like how many new partners do we need? Mm-hmm. Um, and I kind of, you know, how many gifts do we want to fundraise with foundations or grants? And so I mapped that out and I put some really clear smart goals around each one of those giving segments. And it could be like, you know, um, I want to, you know, raise uh, $10,000 uh, in new monthly partnerships. Like, what does that strategy look like? Or, you know, we want to get five new major donors to give 5000 or more. And so how are we going to do that? So it's just getting really clear goals around what you want to do for the year. And then incorporate donor care into that. And so um, we have a template at Flagship for donor care. It's like a rotation And it really helps you kind of break your donors apart and get on a healthy like rhythm to where every month you're having, you know, a touch or two with people. Um, I guess I just think of it like a big map Mm -hmm. (laughs) because if you don't have a system, you tend to just put it by the wayside because you're so busy actually doing the ministry or like being in the minutia of running and all the day to day that it continues to get put on the side. And so when you get like a roadmap, a really clear funding plan, a marketing communication plan, a donor care plan, and you work the plan and you hold yourself accountable to the plan, um, that's where you're going to see results. And so that that's more than just 
an executive director, right? It's a, it's a board that is going to commit to this culture of philanthropy in your organization. It's, it's, you know, uh, maybe hiring a development director who's going to focus on this full time and that be their main job, you know, or getting a, a fundraising chairman on your board who's going to really take this under their wing and help the board be part of this. And so the thing that I don't want and anyone to listening to this saying, oh, great, like more work for me. <laughs> no, <laughs> it is more work to create the plan, right? You're creating things, you're getting systems. But once you get used to this and you start doing this every day and it becomes part of your routine, it's actually very freeing. Mm. And you're like, oh, like, yeah, I can do this. Like now I actually have a roadmap. Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. So something like a tangible practice, how do you coach or teach specifically how many like touch points or how many interactions a ministry should have with their donor base before there's ever an ask? Like, like for example, are you, are you recommending that there's out of every 10 interactions, there should be only one ask or only two asks, asks out of that financial ask specifically? Yeah, that's a great question. So I kind of look at that different depending on who it is. So like if it's a major gift, for instance, most organizations consider major gift like 5,000 or up. Mm -hmm. That's kind of its own little strategy within itself because there's a lot of relationship buildings, meetings, sometimes proposals, like a very high level of transparency. And so um, you may only ask once a year, right, for that kind of gift. Um, it's very, very relational and you typically only get a gift from that individual, a, a big major gift once a year. And so, um, so that's kind of back that out of the picture as far as just your, your regular, you know, givers your church givers, your, your individuals, your monthly partners. Um, I've heard it said seven touches in between each ask. That's kind of a, a rule of thumb, uh, that a touch could be anything like a, an email or a newsletter or, you know, a text or, um, you know, social media posts that they're engaged with. You want to have like as much communication going out as possible. Um, I like to say like drip feed the information. Like if you just think of a coffee pot, you know, little drips at a time coming out. Uh-huh. Like you, your marketing and communication calendar should really be emphasizing like this drip feed of communication. I, I find that ministry leaders, like they'll say things to me like, well, we just wait until we have enough to say and then we just we put it all in a newsletter, like, mm. and then the newsletter is like six pages long. <laughs> Nobody <laughs> reads it. Right. And so like one story at a time, like one statistic at a time, one like quote at a time, like you, you break up your marketing, these little bite sized pieces that people can digest. You know, Microsoft now says the average person has like eight second attention span when they're online, you know, how busy and you know, the, the online space is. And so, the more and more that you can drip feed information to your supporters, the better. And I think once you get in a rhythm of like working your donor care plan, keeping really good notes, making yourself tasks. Like if you hang up the phone today with Susie Jones and you called to pray with her and check on her and thank her for, you know, serving and giving into your ministry, you know, set yourself a note in there like three months, send her a thank you card or send her a birthday card. Like those are the kind of things that are going to make a big difference. The other thing is, um, you know, you're going to treat those mid-level to major gift donors differently. Like there should be just a general standard of care that you develop in your organization that everybody gets. Like after a first time gift, they get a thank you card or maybe they get a handwritten note from the executive director or maybe a welcome packet. Like there's certain things that everybody should get right and everybody should feel appreciated and cared for. But 
as you continue to work with people who are making the larger gifts and they're more like those, you know, dedicated, committed partners, they'll start to stand out. And those are the ones you'll continue to nurture and build stronger relationships with. Does that make sense? Yeah. Now, with with regards to the the schedule and building out a plan for your donor care and your, your new donor growth strategies, do you coach and recommend ministries are doing that on a consistent basis throughout the year? Because what I see a lot of times with organizations that we've talked to and work with is they'll you know wait till the end of the year for their big asks and they don't really do <laughs> you know financial asking throughout the rest of the year or you know they they wait till they have a big project they need to pay for and then they go out and they hey we need to raise 40 grand let's do that try to do that this yes. month and next month like i feel like if you spread it up across the entire year and just make it a consistent practice it's going to be a much more effective strategy is that is that kind of the direction you yes push and i agree that's exact you you're exactly right and um for instance there's an organization i work with now before i start coaching with them um they only sent one piece of direct mail out and it was just like you said the end of the year they did this year and ask and it has been amazing over the course of a year of just like we incorporated a bet like a schedule where they now send out four pieces of mail a year we send out a postcard, we've incorporated handwritten notes and phone calls and, uh, you know, a good news report. And it's just been really cool to see the giving increase just as a result of the increased communication. Uh-huh. And so um, I want to encourage ministry leaders uh, who may feel like, oh, they don't want to hear from us. Well, they don't want your six and seven, eight page newsletters that are going to, you know, take you know an <laughs> hour to read. But they do want to hear from you like they want to be encouraged in your call or your text or your quick little email or your postcard, your thank you card, those are all ways that you can, you know, love on them and encourage them. Back to that building that relationship piece that you talked about earlier. Exactly. Exactly right. Yes. And there's so many ways now with, we have access to such great technology that, um, that can go to work for us. I mean, so many things with automation and like work smarter, not harder. Mm -hmm. Like if you, if you really want to do this and you want to do it well, you can. And if you are struggling, just call me. <laughs> we have a fundraising academy. We're happy to help. That's awesome. Now, to shift a little bit, what is your mindset in regards to marketing? And specifically, um, we talked about this offline a little bit, but specifically around this idea of building up a donor base of kingdom investors versus like the one-time network of $5 donors. Yeah. Yeah. Well, first of all, I think marketing and fundraising go hand in hand. I've seen a lot of ministry leaders that try to separate that or they'll say, um, well, we don't really spend anything on, we don't have any attention or we don't spend money on marketing. Um, We're ready to start fundraising. I'm like, well, they go hand in hand. And so as you're developing your fundraising program, you should also be at the same time uh, developing a stronger marketing plan. And that's all the things you do, Zach, you know, helping people uh, just get clarity on their messaging and their website and their branding and their materials. And, you know, mm-hmm. and so I think it goes really hand in hand. And again, back to that drip feeding, you know, as we continue to tell these one stories at a time and continue to share information in little bite-sized pieces, easy for people to digest and understand, um, you know, we're going to see people get more engaged. And I've heard it said in multiple, multiple reports and posts, speak to your donors like an eighth grader Yeah. <laughs> or tell your right, like you're writing, 
And so, like, we don't have to overcomplicate this. We're not writing grant proposals and that kind of language, mm-hmm. you know, for when we're trying to communicate just to the average donor. And so sometimes the way we word things and our language and our communication is just way too complex. And so I think as as they're building this uh, better, you know, best practices of fundraising, the marketing just goes hand in hand with that. And then um, as far as those $5 investors, I really think, that if you start implementing better donor care and better communication, uh, you can capture a lot of those as monthly partners. Like maybe it might be 25 a month that they give, but like, that's the goal, right? To like, it's kind of that inbound marketing approach where you're giving them content, you're, you're inspiring them, engaging them and getting them excited, educating them. And then they want to know more, right? You want them to be asking you, tell me more. And so, um, I think the goal is to really kind of continue to move people through awareness into, you know, in the sales world, it's like we come from awareness to a buyer. Well, we're not a buyer. We become a supporter. But um, I think it's our goal to be a good marketer. Does that does that help? I mean, I, I feel like you're probably on the same page with that. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And, and one of the things that we try to encourage organizations that we work with is is categorize your your content that you're putting out into three categories, one being education, one being inspiration, and one being information. So when, yes. when we're post putting out content, whether it be on social media or on our blog or in, in an email drip campaign, uh, if you can, if you can think about your content in those three categories, one that's going to give you a lot more content to be producing without making an ask. Like there's plenty of things that you can be doing and plenty of things you can communicate about your ministry that's going to educate a donor base without an ask. There's plenty of things that you could, plenty of ways you can inspire by telling stories, whether it be written form or uh, written form partnered with photos or films that you create. There's plenty of ways to inspire a donor base um, that can push and and grow that donor care. And then information, just sharing what's going on with your ministry, informing Mm -hmm. your donor base. And if you can categorize those three things and be pushing out content on a consistent basis with those three categories in mind, you've got a almost endless um, amount of content you, you can be producing to be constantly interacting with your audience. And so that's mm-hmm. kind of the direction we push and encourage organizations is to think about it in that way. So it, it's like, okay, I, I feel like I have to come up with some, I have to be creative all the time. And that can be uh, debilitating is to just come up off the top of your head with some type of piece of content that's going to be valuable to your audience. Um, I think that can help. All right. Well, maybe I don't have to come up with something off the top of my head, I, but I, I know how I can educate. I know how I can educate mm-hmm. and inform. I know how I can inspire. I can tell this specific story or I can, hey, this happened in our ministry today. This is awesome. Let's inform our donor base about that. Yes, exactly. Yeah, that's good. so good. And look, you when you just said it doesn't always have to be an ask, people, when you're telling stories and you're giving them what they want to hear and you're educating them, inspiring them, all that stuff, they'll give anyway. Yeah. <laughs> so. Yeah, don't like fundraising doesn't have to be the special campaigns like we want to like, yeah, you should always have like a year in campaign, like maybe you do a summer campaign or something around a special project. Like I see the need for that. I totally go for that myself and I loved on those. But at the same time, like it's just throughout the year, 
it's kind of like just sprinkling little bits of sparkle all around (laughs) Mm -hmm. and then they just love you. Right. And they want to be part of what you're doing. So, I mean, like you said, especially in this day and age where people's attention is so short, we have, I mean, to be successful and to break through that noise, we have to be communicating on a consistent basis. Otherwise we just get forgotten. We get, uh, our organizations will get lost in the, the mess of noise that's out there. Mm-hmm. Um, and so to, to break into that, you have to be, you have to be producing content on a consistent basis so that they're up to remembering what about your organization, that you still exist, that you're still doing cool work, that God's still working through your organization. Yeah. Agree. So it's not fundraising or marketing. It's fundraising and marketing. Mm-hmm. Like they're like hand in glove, you know? Yeah, absolutely. Um, what tips can you offer startup organizations who, maybe don't have a track record of like quantifiable impact that they can take to a donor to say, here's what we can do with your investment. Like if maybe it's a startup organization that has, doesn't have numbers to support or back up what they're doing. Um, well, you know, listen, a lot of organizations have an ability to say for a dollar a day, your investment will do such and such for a child in Africa, right? right? Like they have the statistics that support that. So what would you say to that? Well, sometimes it's a little tricky, especially at the beginning. Um, I work with a lot of startups. And so sometimes we are projecting like, what do you want to do this year? How many lives do you think you'll impact per program? What does that look like? What is like, how are you going to measure success? It's not just like, okay, we serve a hundred people this year. Okay. So what, <laughs> like what happened in their life? You know, right? what did this program do this education program or this awareness program or this prevention program, whatever the program is like, we want to say exactly what did it do? Um, I'll give you a good example at Hope House. Um, people would say at the beginning, like, what's your success rate? And, you know, <laughs> early on, I just wanted to tell all these supporters and these people like, listen, all their girls got up today. They did school and we didn't have any fist fights. They all went to therapy. They did art. It was a lovely day it was a success. Like, but they Uh didn't want to hear that, you know, (laughs) it's like, okay, so that's great. But like, really what's happened in their life? Like, is, are you guys really changing? Are you putting a bandaid on things? And so we had to get, um, dig a little deeper, especially as we started raising major gifts, because the higher, like, as you start going into grant writing and major gifts, and there's just a high level of transparency and trust that you have to build to get these big gifts. And they want to see data. They want to hear the stories, but they want to see data. They want to know that you have a strategic plan, that you're tracking you know, the success of your programs and you have surveys and all of that good stuff. And so what we started doing, um, we worked with a therapist and said, okay, when a girl first comes in, like do, she had this trauma inventory thing that they did on the girl. And so we got a score basically like it, it showed us how um, high her level of post-traumatic stress disorder was. And then she would redo that same exact test after they spent six months in the program and after one year. And it was pretty consistently that we started seeing after six months of a girl being in our, in our home and receiving care and support that her post-traumatic stress disorder would go down by 50% or greater. Wow. And so that was just one way we started tracking <laughs> Um, you know, the success of our program. So sometimes you have to get a little creative and think outside the box. Um, there's a, a, a form that we use at Flagship Fundraising Academy. It's called Outcomes-Based Evaluation. And it's really where we unpack your programs and look at them kind of underneath a microscope, if you will, and say, you know, how are we going to evaluate success? Like all this great work, how are you going to evaluate that? 
um, like what data does that, does that make sense? Cause it's super yeah. important to have these numbers. It's, it's not just, okay, we're changing lives. Yay. Okay. Well, like I need to do more. If I'm right. going to give you $50,000, <laughs> that's not going to cut it for me. You know? <laughs> so just start tracking early on. If you're not doing a great job of like as a ministry leader, just keeping up with your programs, like, um, you just really like surveys, program evaluations, get you a coach or consultant if you are confused about that. Uh, and the more and more you can um, evaluate, like every year you should be evaluating the success mm-hmm. of your programs. And if, if it's not making impact, you know, you shouldn't be doing it. So. Right. Well, on the flip side to that, I was, I was talking with a mentor of mine who is a He's a pastor to pastors. So he travels around the world and does trainings and conferences and, and leads pastors and leaders in how to make disciples, how to read their Bibles, that type of stuff. And he, I mean, he's got, he's been doing this for a handful of years and, and has legitimate numbers to say, here's the impact that we've had. And like we're talking in the hundreds of thousands of people touched with, um, with the work that he's doing in his organization. Um, and so he has, he has those quantifiable, quantifiable numbers that he can point to to say, here's the impact that our organization is having on the kingdom. But what he's found is, especially early on in his organization, it was so much, it was still more powerful. It was, it was powerful to tell a single story. And he's found even today, even with the numbers that he has to support it, it's still more powerful to tell a single story of, of how somebody's been impacted by his organization, even with the numbers that he has to support what he's doing. And so like, I, th- I think it's easy as organizations grow and get larger and start having those numbers to back up what they're doing. It's easy to start focusing all of our communication and all of our marketing materials on the numbers and the statistics um, mm-hmm. when in actuality, the stories are so much more powerful in, in emotionally engaging and, and, um, inspiring action. And so I think there's a, there's, um, the CEO of charity water has a great quote about that. I can't remember it off the top of my head, but it's essentially like statistics and numbers and data don't move people emotionally mm-hmm. stories, move people. And, um, exactly. And so to encourage those those small organizations that may be in the startup phase, like, yeah, maybe we don't have those numbers to back up what, what you're doing yet. But in the meantime, just tell the individual story of what, what mm-hmm. happened, just like the story of what you just told um, for those girls uh, who were seeing 50%, uh, you know, whatever it was with their trauma reduction. Their trauma yeah. reduction. Um, you know, telling that individual story of a, of a girl that's life has been transformed because of the work that you're doing, that's going to be significant. That's going to be significant for a donor to hear. Exactly. And the data really like the, the reason we collect all this data is really to inform our stories and mm-hmm. to inform our, our marketing and I, like totally tie that into the story of one. Um, the one thing I will say about this data, data, like it doesn't, like you said, Zach, it doesn't excite people to give. Um, unless it's like a grant maker or a major donor who really wants to see that there's like this whole thing that we do around disc personality, you know, and how people receive information. And so depending on a personality style, like if you're like, for me, I'm a DI and so I'm a driver and I'm like, the I is like the, 
the people person, the life of the party, like, let's go have fun and just tell stories. And, but then like my husband on the flip side is more like a CS of the disc where he's really analytical. And so he wants to see it in black and white. And so the more and more you get to know, this is the whole, it goes back to the relationship. The more and more you get to know, you know, your supporters. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm a big fan of like creating individual um, customizing things to meet that person's need. Like if you're going to have lunch with Mary Jane and Mary Jane, you know that she's just like, Oh my gosh, girl, tell me everything. She wants all these stories. Like be prepared. But if you're going with Bob, who's like, tell me the bottom line, like tell me your mm-hmm. strategic plan. You know, you want to be able to speak to that person too. And so I think the more um, information that you have access to the better. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. It's yeah, like that all would... the things in your tool belt, you know? Yeah, the difference between, like, not to stereotype, but if you're going to present to an engineer or an, or an accountant yes. versus, like, <laughs> you presenting to me who's creative director and could, you know, care less about the logistics <laughs> no, side. Right. Uh, no. You know, it's a very different conversation that you're going to be having. I'm going to be very uh, – emo- I'm a lot more emotionally engaged uh, if you just tell me some cool stories yeah. versus my engineer buddy, you tell him some cool stories and he'd be like, eh, but you tell him the data and stats <laughs> behind what you're doing. He's going to nerd out on that type of stuff. Yeah. So, like, oh, cool, yeah cool. Back to that relationship piece. It's all about knowing who you're talking about and almost being a chameleon to have the information prepared for that specific donor. Yes, exactly. Or take someone with you that's opposite of you. Like mm. I know that I'm a people person, right? Like I will go in there and just like talk about everything from your shoes <laughs> to your earrings or like whatever you want to talk about. But like, you know, when I would fundraise, I always had this gal I took with me and she was very calm and reserved and just a little more proper than me. And <laughs> sometimes she'd kick me over the table, you know. But, um, but it's good to have someone that's a little opposite of you because like, especially if it's a first time person, you don't know who they're going to connect with. And so if you see that, like, oh, like this is like one of her people, like you can just kind of be quiet and let her do her thing, you know? Mm -hmm. So it doesn't always have, like, you don't have to conform or change who you are, like be who you are in fundraising and just be yourself. But also like, if you have access to someone that's opposite of you, that would go on some of these appointments with you. That's really cool too. Yeah, Absolutely. Well, I mean, this has been uh, really, really beneficial. I think that this is going to provide a ton of value for our listeners. Um, thank you so much for being on the show. I, I don't want to take too much more of your time, but uh, can can I pray for Flagship Equip and, and what you're doing with yes. the organizations that you're serving? I would quick? love that. Thank you so much. Welcome. Father, I just lift up Emily. I pray that you would um, go before her and guide her as she builds this company, Flagship Equip. I pray that the ministries that she serves and, and supports and invests in with her coaching and consulting would flourish and grow and be more uh, efficient and effective with um, in the, for the work of the kingdom, Father. I pray that you would mm-hmm. uh, just bless her organization, bless her, give her more time than she feels like she needs. Mm-hmm. Uh, Jesus, I know that she feels like that sometimes there's not enough time in the day. And so um, Emily's trying to do amazing things and, and we love her for it, but I pray that you would just give her more time than she needs and um, just help her to uh, find time to be with you and to find the joy in, in being an entrepreneur and a business owner and a um, 
someone who's helping organizations do some really cool stuff. So uh, we just lift her up to you and thank you for her. Thank you that you have invited us into this story, Father, that you've invited us to be a part of your story of redeeming humanity. You didn't have to ask us. You could have done it all on your own, Lord, but you've chosen to say, hey, come alongside me in this because we're going to do some cool stuff. So thank you for that invitation. And um, we just love you and thank you so much for who you are. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thanks, Zach. Yeah, of course. Emily, if someone, if an organization leader or executive leader or executive director wants to get a hold of you or follow along with what you're doing or maybe come um, take one of your courses, how can they get a hold of you? Yeah, just go to flagshipequip.com or faithbasedfundraising.com. Either one. Awesome. So. Well, thank you so much again, Emily, for being on the show. We really appreciate it. And we're excited to see what you do with Flagship. Thank you. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Ministry Grow Show. If you enjoyed it, we'd appreciate it if you rate and or review us on the iTunes store. And make sure you subscribe so you never miss an episode. If you have a story to share with other ministry directors and pastors, or know someone who would be an incredible guest on the Ministry Grow Show, let us know. We love connecting with ministry executives and sharing their wisdom and insight with our audience. Just send us an email at info at reliantcreative.org. And lastly, if you need help telling your ministry story, we would love to share how we can help in that process. Check out Reliant Creative at reliantcreative.org. See you next time.